How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Dr. Matthew Sauchik, who has been teaching for over 20 years and is currently an assistant professor of leadership development at the University of Florida. Dr. Matt focuses his research on humility and the creation of organizational leadership programs. He's here today to talk about his new book that was recently launched called The H Factor, exploring the intersection of humility and leadership to move from good to great. And for those of you that know me well, you know that the topic of humility is a topic that I am very passionate about. Dr. Matt, welcome to the Leadership Jam Session. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And uh, are you ready to jam? I sure am. I sure am. I have this Hawaiian shirt on today. So yes, definitely ready to go. I see that. Love the shirt. Thank you for coming prepared for the jam session with the shirt. And I am excited to have you on as, as I talked about in my intro. I am passionate about this topic. It's great to have you on and talk about your new book that you released last month. So just to start off, what is the H factor? Thank you so much. So this idea of the H factor is talking about humility and the importance of humility in leadership. And what's the intersection between humility and leadership? If there is one, it's a great topic and it's a topic I don't think we talk enough about. And I think we've shied away from, especially in leadership. So what I am proposing in the book through some activities and stories, funny jokes and all those sort of things is this idea that we're missing this wonderful, wonderful characteristic that is a foundation for great leadership. And I, I think you can be a good leader if you don't have a great deal of humility, but if you're interested in kind of moving to that great leadership. I make a lot of arguments based on research, on companies that are using it, really just basic kind of logic out there that humility becomes really, really important. And I got the title, The H Factor, from Jim Collins, who wrote a wonderful book, Good to Great, which I love, I know you love, we both use. But what I found was I was walking around and meeting managers at a training I was doing, and they all had that book on their shelves, brand new bright red. And I would reach for it to kind of make that connection. I would say, oh, what part did you really love? And they would say things like, I didn't get a chance to read it yet. I got it out of training. Oh, my friend recommended it. Um, And I realized it was just a decoration on their bookshelves. And they never really got to that part where he says that the X factor isn't personality, it's humility. And he really kind of preaches this idea that humility and determination are what great leaders do. And that's really what I kind of build on because I think we didn't take that as seriously as we should have when he said it first. It's interesting. I love Jim Collins' book. And, and we talked about this as part of one of the reasons why I was so excited to get you on, on the jam session to talk about this. I use one of his articles, Level 5 Leadership. I use that in my Emerging Leaders program. I've used it for over 10 years. It's amazing how well it goes over with a lot of my participants who go through the program. And there was something that you said that is interesting. That article was published in the 90s, right? I think 96? I think it was late, yeah, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, that's right. And it is interesting that the, the whole concept of humility doesn't get talked about as much as one would think. And you kind of brought that up a little bit ago. So why do you think that is? Because that does fascinate me. Yeah, and that's such a good question because 
when you think about it, and there's there's amazing companies that are using it, lots of research, there's certainly just world religions. Most, if not all the world religions celebrate humility is that kind of commonality in them. So why don't we kind of go in that direction when we talk about leadership? And, and I would make the argument, and the argument that's made in the book based on a ton of research is this idea that most leadership comes out of this Western perspective or the United States. And, and most of our books come out of the United States. Most of our training comes from the United States. And there's this real Western mentality around it. So we have a society right now that's focused on perfection. We really try to put our best self out there, whether it's on social media. You know, often I am uh, quoting Beth Kempton, who wrote this wonderful book, Wabi Sabi. She talks about leadership gurus, leadership management experts, consultants right now the promises that they make of, I wasn't perfect, but I learned this secret method. And if you take my course or read my book, then you'll be perfect. We have this like perfect mentality that we're trying to search for, strive for. And that really runs in the face of humility, this idea that we would ever be perfect. I think the second reason is there's this real individualistic nature to our society, that idea of the American dream. We could get anything by ourselves if we just work hard enough. And the truth is from more collective thought, it's that we need people and we need others. If leadership is truly leadership, you need other people or you're just taking a walk as the old adage says. And then finally, I think it's the way that we evaluate our leaders. I think oftentimes we want success right now. And whether that's coaches and they're winning, we just had a coach here at the University of Florida who got fired after three years. They just couldn't turn it around quick enough. And when you fire someone after three years or two years or a politician who only has two years before they're running for election again, or CEOs trying to make money for their shareholders, it's just that quick, quick burst forces people to make decisions that kind of run in the face of humility. They have to be the biggest and the loudest and the look at me type of leaders, that celebrity leader, as Collins might call it. And, and it just runs in the face of humility. So we don't talk about it. But it really impacts us. And there's just one research piece that, that really talks about this is that in our business schools, business students are 16% higher on narcissism scales than in other schools at, at the universities. And this really talks to the type of people, what we're training them, how special we are telling them that they are, and then what they're trying to work for, which is instant fame, instant success, instant money in that process. So I think we have to take a step back and kind of have that perception around humility and how it impacts our mindset. So it's fair to say some of it is just the way we've been conditioned and to some degree, right? And in some people's minds that any sign of a willingness to admit that maybe you made a mistake or that you may not have all the answers, while we know that's true, none of us have all the answers, but in someone's mind that could be viewed as a sign of weakness. I think that's really fair to say, and I think it kind of comes around three major areas. It's our apprehension to be imperfect when we're all imperfect, our apprehension to be incomplete, believing that we're kind of made it, we know where we are, especially in leadership. If you made it to a title or a position, you kind of feel complete. And then the permanence piece and that we're, we're permanent, we're important, that no one can do this without us. And those three pieces are things that we push in our society a lot. But if you really thought about it, we are perfectly imperfect, completely incomplete, and we are impermanent in all counts. You do talk a lot about that in your book. And by the way, I love the book, love the way it's laid out. You do provide a lot of great stories. Um, there is humor in it as well, which I 
Certainly appreciate. I do want to go back to one thing that you said before, because I was fascinated by this when I read this in your book. And you talk about narcissism. So is humility the opposite of narcissism? That's probably my favorite question. It's the thing that I think runs in the face of why people don't often harness or use humilities, because if we see it as, and most people see overconfidence or narcissism or arrogance as being the opposite of humility, when in fact, I think you don't want a leader who's going to be arrogant. Certainly you don't want a leader who's going to be narcissistic or overconfident, but you don't want the opposite of that either, that lacking self-esteem, feeling unworthy. And I think that's the opposite. What humility is and what we talk about in the book is it's this really sweet spot from this mindset of humility we can get to a really sweet spot where we're not overconfident but we're not underconfident either we really know what our level of confidence is what our value is it, it doesn't matter who it is einstein's a really great example of this einstein people would have said be as confident as you want you are amazingly smart all of those qualities he had was maybe one of the most humble people and is quoted as saying the reason he continues to prove his theories wrong and move on to greater theories was because compared to the universe, he was really nothing. And there's so much truth to that in yeah. seeing that, but that's that sweet spot. Because if Einstein wouldn't have said he was a dummy or didn't know or wasn't sure about anything, but he would certainly go to others and ask questions and, and prove that he wanted to learn more in that process. And, and it happens in everything. I think humility is that characteristic that brings us to the middle. So if we talk about creativity, you have being eccentric on one side where people can't understand you because you're so creative and having complete lack of creativity. The humility is knowing where you need to be. And it's kind of like if you're riding in a car and you have your stereo on, maybe when you're singing to yourself, you turn it all the way up. Maybe when you're riding with your grandmother, you turn it down a little. Context dictates that humility and when and how we kind of move forward with all of these extremes as, as someone like Aristotle or, or others might call them. So it's, it's really kind of just dialing up and down some of the intensity level. Humility helps us do that. Yeah. I was fascinated by, there was some research that you referenced in the book. I kind of sat back. I was like, is, is this possible? So I just want to run this by it because, because it just fascinated me. I'm going to look this up because I want to make sure I get this right. So I guess there's research that suggests that individuals with higher levels of narcissism initially received higher leadership ratings yeah. than leaders with low levels of narcissism and are more likely to emerge as leaders within teams. Is that true? Because I find that fascinating and hard to believe at times. Yeah. So, so it's amazing how much research is out there suggesting, and there's some great people who study narcissism. McCoby is one of them who you referenced in this, in this a particular study. But, but what they find is in the initial quick meeting of individuals and having to pick or assign leadership to someone in teams, that narcissism tends to have a lot more charisma, which we really like. They tend to be more sure about the direction forward, which people, when they're kind of unsure, and I know my students, when they get into groups, they're like, oh, I don't know what to do, right. who to trust in this. So the person who seems most charismatic, most sure of the direction forward and can build those strong relationships in the beginning, immediately get tasked with the leadership position. What you find, however, though, is it doesn't take very long mm. for new readings and new ratings to come out where that leader in particular is seen as not effective at all. So they're the first ones to get put in, but also pretty quickly after we see 
that that narcissism isn't a positive quality because of some of the things that I just referenced. That makes total sense to me. I appreciate you explaining that because I do see that play out over time. So it's more or less over time, you kind of see. Oh, that's right. Some of these behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And they actually suggest that a, a mediating factor for narcissists is humility. So if a, a narcissistic leader has humility, they can use some of those qualities to get into the position. But if they have humility, if they know that they have to trust others, if they have people holding them accountable, they actually do significantly better than just narcissists without that kind of humility counterbalancing trait in them. So it's not, it's not absolutely devastational for a narcissist, but they do need to have that humility and they go together. And in most of the research that's out there, when those two characteristics go together, you can find a pretty good leader. Do you think there's a point of no return when you look at the evolution of, of a leader's career, when they first become a new leader versus 10 or 15 years and at higher levels, the ability to learn or develop more humility, I guess, over time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I know it really does make sense. I think the two things that really develop humility are our experiences and our ability to kind of learn and grow and reflect and change from that process. Now, I think when we talk about older, more senior leaders, they've had more experiences. So they have more likely opportunities for them to start to experience the humility that comes with leading. And that's really important. And you see it in somebody like Steve Jobs. He successfully started a company, was really charismatic, got all these people involved. And eventually his lack of humility, his narcissism is the reason he got fired, thrown off the bus in, in that process. And, and, and then it was through that act and his humility of meeting his biological mother and a couple other pieces when he came back the next time to Apple. A lot of the research suggests that it was that humility. He was still a narcissist, but he was counterbalanced with that humility that told him he had to listen to people. He had to turn over projects. He had to focus on what he was good at. And that propels Apple into what you know of that Steve Jobs era in that process. So that's really important. Now, when you're asking me who I'd rather teach humility to, I love emerging leaders because I think they're at the point where they still believe that they can learn and grow and adapt. And especially when they get into leadership programs, there's a real opportunity that they're soaking up everything you say. And if you tell them humility is important, they'll leave that up. But if we continue to avoid the topic, they just don't know what they don't know. So they start running at whatever we tell them to. So I think it's really important right now, as we talk about emerging leaders, that that really becomes our focus is to bring in some humility so that they can build that foundation. And then all the other lessons, all the other tenants, all the other rules we want to talk about, let's build from the place of humility. I completely agree, which is why I'm, as you, I'm passionate about the emerging leader because they are impressionable. You can get them early in their careers. And it is amazing. Every time I, I, I review Level 5 Leadership, Jim Collins, which now I'm going to start introducing your book as well. And it's amazing how some do think that, well, I'm so glad that, that you exposed us to this because I always thought for whatever reason that it was a sign of weakness, humility, showing any sign of vulnerability or and, and hopefully as, as those that are listening to this realize that it's really not, right? It's, it's the opposite in many respects. I think that was one of the biggest hurdles I had to overcome was that definition around humility. People see or define humility as being lower than or not speaking up. And they often mix modesty and humility together with humility is kind of a more internal piece. And it talks 
about this idea of our proper perspective of ourselves. So understanding who we are, it's a proper perspective of others and how they're important to us. And that really becomes a huge element in this. And then that proper perspective of the overall purpose. And if we have a proper perspective of ourselves and understand that we're imperfect, incomplete and impermanent, then we can start to understand how others impact us and how we impact others and how we grow together. And then overall, how we as a group hit a purpose, hit a cause, do the things that people like Simon Sinek are talking about and his start with why. I, I think those are really important pieces, but we have to start with ourselves, work with others, and then we get to that piece. I, I don't think too many people realize the whole story behind Steve Jobs. And it is interesting. A lot of times Steve Jobs comes up in my workshops, particularly around humility and, and they'll throw out there, well, do you think Steve Jobs is, is a good leader or a great leader? Right. Not many realize he basically got fired from his own company. That's right. It's a great example of what you just talked about. Sometimes you do need to go through some type of traumatic experience in order to help you find some of that humility piece. You're absolutely right. I mean, whether you get it there from awe and looking over the beach and having that kind of aha uh-huh moment or awe uh-huh moments, or you get there from the gutter and, and waking up after firing or those sort of things, you get to humility and it kind of what it does is it decreases the self. And that's really what's important in this is it decreases the self and puts some focus on external things. Now, through awe, it doesn't decrease it in a way that makes you feel bad. It decreases it in a way that makes you feel amazed at what's out there. And that's kind of the difference between the shame piece and the awe piece is that shame makes you feel small, but kind of overwhelmed at how small you are. Awe makes you feel small, but amazed at how big other things are. And that's just really an interesting perspective. So when we try to get to humility, how do we get there from awe instead of getting there from shame becomes really important. And talk a little bit about it in the book. There's an amazing researcher up in Toronto who talks a lot about humility and awe, how they're connected together. And her whole push is just that, is how do we get to humility through awe and not get there through shame? Because shame makes us smaller where awe makes other things bigger. I love how you frame that up. I think that's, that's a great way to approach it. I'm not sure I've ever heard of it served up that way. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's examples in the book, which is nice to say like, hey, what was the last time you took a walk through nature and, and just appreciate it? Or what was the last time you went to the beach? Or what's the last time you sang out with people at church or whatever it may be? When are you finding those moments of awe to start to really ground that humility and see things bigger? Is that connected into, and again, there's a big section in your book around this, around the proper perspective of others. I think that's a really important part of others. I always find it amazing. There's that show, The Undercover Boss. And they kind of silly. Like they love that show. Has no idea. Yeah. Any organization dresses up really silly, comes in. But there's these moments of humility, like genuine humility, where they're talking to people and they're like, I can't do this job. I would never be able to do this. If these people weren't doing this job, my company wouldn't exist in there. Or in most cases, really genuine exchanges of humility, having humility happen and realizing the importance of others and then building systems around it, changing policies because of it, helping people out because of it. And you see this real change in the CEO that impacts the company long-term. And I, and I asked kind of in the book, what would our, what would our undercover boss moment be? Like, when are we seeing other people in their true light? And, and do you do that enough? And what is, if they had a home edition of undercover boss, like when you go home, do you have that same moment with your spouse or your kids? And, and can we start to really appreciate and have the proper perspective of how others impact us? And the truth is how we impact other people so that we can get to the collective. And that's, 
when we're going to get to purpose, when we're going to get to making positive changes for this world that needs it so much, it's going to happen around that other piece of people collectively coming together and having the humility to work together, engage together, and move forward together in that process. There were many times, as I reflect back on my career, there are times where you were obviously leading your teams, but there were many times where I had to step back and knew that it was time where I had to have my, my team lead me a little bit. There were just some things I wasn't aware of and needed them to lead me through some things. How did you know when those times were? So I always had a, an approach with my teams where we can discuss anything. It was kind of like an expectation with, with my teams. I may not agree at times, but you'll always be made to feel that you're hurt, right? Yeah. And so it was almost, well, it wasn't almost, there was a level of expectation that I expect feedback or I expect to push back on certain things. And so many of my teams took that to heart and definitely pushed back in some areas where I finally had to sit back and, and listen and realized, you know what, this is one of those moments where I need to be led by my team. I had it wrong. You could have wrote in the chapter for me. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I think it's, it's that feedback that's so important. It's understanding yeah. others that's so important. And it's those pieces together that really, it's the gratitude that you have people who are willing to kind of speak up. And, and it, feedback is just so important, as you've said. Uh, if you're not opening those channels up, you can never be humble enough to hear and be engaged. Because the truth is, sometimes we do need other people to lead. And it's such a fluid process of people leading us and us leading people that if we're just only leading that dictatorship, we know the problems with that. We know the arrogance in that. And we know the lack of real creative ideas that come from that. So just to have the feedback for someone to say, you're, you kill it nine out of 10 times, but this is that one time that you should really let me take the ball to be able to step back and not get puffed chest and worry. And I, I've been doing this for 20 years, all those things that we say, and let that person run with it and engage with it. And then we find that that person's more engaged. They give you blood, sweat, and tears. They love the company. They love the cause. It engages them and engages you. And it's just, it's amazing what comes out of just simple feedback. Right. I'm glad you brought up the engagement piece. The engagement piece is a big factor. And maybe it's a byproduct of it, but it's an important piece to um, a highly successful team, the level of engagement. It, it tremendously is. And it's in all of the research. All of the research yep, suggests that. If you're that person who's saying that you're afraid to say, I don't know, because you've now got in this leadership position, that your, your productivity, your answers, your creativity will be significantly less than if you just admit you don't know and allow people to rally behind you, find the answers, help you get the answers in that process. We are always collectively better than we are individually. So true. Along these lines, there was another concept in your book that, and again, this, this kind of picks up in my mind, to some extent, where Jim Collins leaves off. And he spoke about getting the right people on the bus, right? Very famous line that's quoted all the time. But you take it another step further, which is what I appreciate. And you talk about bus buddy, having a bus yeah. buddy. So if you can maybe just share a little bit of that perspective, because I think this ties in a little bit to what we're talking about with feedback to some extent. Many years ago, many, many moons ago, two decades ago, I started teaching, which I love and I'm so passionate about as my Day job, it will always be my day job. I started to work at this small little college, Wilkes University in Northeastern Pennsylvania. I loved it. It's where I went for my undergraduate. And as soon as I got there, I met a professor and she ran a trip overseas. She would take 60 students to Italy and France and Spain. It was an amazing trip. She would put those marketing materials out and you would want to go. And all of my faculty members at the time were like, oh, you if she likes you, she'll take it. You got to get her to like it. So I buy her copies and I, <laughs> I, 
just, I would be everything I could be. And she took me one year and she said, Matt, this is your year. And we went and I got to witness this thing that she did called the bus body. So as soon as we get on, on the bus to head to Philadelphia, to fly out of the airport in Philadelphia, she'd say, whoever you're sitting with is your bus buddy. That's going to be the person you're responsible for all week. You're going to be going to places with them. If you have a problem, ask them. If you need directions, ask them. And in the beginning, people were so excited that they did not lack humility at all. They were nervous. They were, they were anxious. They didn't believe that they knew everything. So, so they were cautious. And, and the bus buddy system was good at that moment because they could ask some questions and they could engage and make friends. And, but where I found the bus buddy system so important was halfway through the trip. When, when everybody's guard started going down and people felt more comfortable and a, that humility waned a little bit and the ego and the, the arrogance and the confidence and that we're going to go out to this party or we're going to do these things, the bus buddy system kicked in there and it was the bus buddy who knew that it was going to be their responsibility in the morning to make sure that person was on the bus. So they would either go to the party or go to the bar or go to this place with them and then hold them accountable and get them home. And. And it became really important because of how comfortable they got. And I see this in companies all the time. We will assign an onboarding buddy and we'll have someone as soon as you start the organization. I think that's so important. But we are best behaved when we start our job. We love our job more than anything in the world the first day. The first day is the most amazing day. We walk out of it. We're so excited. It's, It's year three or year six that we're overconfident and we don't need this person anymore. And we've already argued with that, that we really do need that bus buddy. Cause as Jupes Collins says, you got to get the right people on the bus before you figure out where the bus is going. I think the step that's in the middle is you get the right people on the bus. You get those bus buddies, you get people to hold them accountable as you're driving towards that destination. And that becomes really important because then people can hold you accountable. And accountability may be the most important part of the leadership process to see something through from beginning, middle to end and execute it on in a way where you care for others and care for the task at hand. It's that bus buddy who should be there. And, and I think the truth is, if you don't have a bus buddy like Steve Jobs, as you said, you get thrown out off the bus. Like you're True. no longer in the company. And I have so many stories of, of leaders during writing this book who told me I didn't get the humility. I didn't understand the importance of getting my executive council group together or getting my friends together or meeting with this person monthly until this happened, until I got fired or the board talked to me or these different steps happened. And I don't think we have to wait that long if we normalize the idea of asking for help, getting bus buddy people and being in a pair where you're not maybe the strongest member on particular things. And, and that is something we're just not very good at right now. We, we're afraid that if we ask for help or we're with others, if we have a consultant come in, it shows a sign of weakness. And, yeah. and that's really unfair because we're leaving so much on the table, not having that accountability check. Yep. I completely agree with you. And, and I love the concept of the bus buddy, right? It, it's just another way of reframing it. And that's why to your point, it just takes it one step further from where Jim Collins talked about. To this day, I still reach out to people to get feedback because I know I may not have all the answers. And I think as I reflect and look back in, in my career, some of, the, some of the best development I got was when I had a bus buddy, somebody who was there that was going to give me feedback both ways, right? Highlighting the things that I was, that I was working on and, and reinforcing, but giving me the feedback where I was maybe unaware 
of the gap that I had and, and to help me work on it. It's so vital and critical, but I think it's the way you view it, right? You're, you're hundred percent right. And I think just that it's most simple form, it's so great to be connected with others. And I think yeah. we are naturally, and, and there's so many people who would argue that we are collective being, like we need to be in relationship with each other. So when you hear statistic after statistic after statistic of CEOs feeling alone at the top, the loneliness that they deal with, you start to realize that they've lost their bus buddy in that process. Because I saw students in Spain who were the most introverted students having fun, never feeling lonely because they had someone with them, engaged with them, connected with them, and holding them accountable in that process. So I, I think as we grow in the organization, it may be more important to continue to keep that process because it so naturally happens when we're merging leaders. We just want to be around people because we yeah. aren't arrogant. We don't know in that process. So let me ask you, as we're winding down here, um, if, if I'm a leader and I know that I might have to dial up some of that humility, right? And, and I struggle with that. Where do you recommend I start? If there's one thing that I should start focusing on to help me develop more humility or, or not view things that I might have to admit as a sign of weakness, where should I start? I would first say to that person, you have already done so much just acknowledging it. It's funny, when I was writing this book, it's amazing the amount of people who said, that is such an important topic. I can't wait till I get it for my boss or my wife or my kids. No one ever said, thank you for writing it for me. I really need it. It's funny how often we'll see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. Really, the first step is understanding that we all need humility. We all need humility. We all can learn humility. It doesn't matter where we are on that scale. We all can learn something building a base of humility and kind of moving forward. So the first step is kind of that accepting that we do need it. And then you can start to take that action to kind of move out. And the action is in those areas of yourself and really looking at how can we use imperfection, incompleteness, impermanence? And then how do we start to establish that with others? And in the book, I give questions and reflections and there's all these ways in which you can take every single area that we talk about and develop it out. But the first step is saying, I need the book. I, I, I need to develop my humility yeah. because if we're always giving it to someone else and that becomes a challenge is how do you go to your boss and say, boy, I really <laughs> hope you'll read this book. But if you read it first and say, oh my gosh, you don't need this, but I really found the stories great and it was engaging. And how about you read it so we can build a mentoring program around it? Maybe they're more likely to read it at that point. But I think just the general, hey, I saw this book and it's really one that you need may not work as well. I love that technique, right? So use yourself first. And that's right. Here's, that's exactly right. And to your point, we all can work on it. I think it goes back to what we talked about and the way you kind of served it up earlier is just finding the sweet spot, right? Maybe some of us might be relying on it too much. It might be viewed, you know, as, as, right. as indecisive or not as strong. Our society is so impacted by imposter syndrome and that, that's mm -hmm. not humility by any means, but humility can help us realize how important we are. And, and because we're imperfect doesn't mean we don't have moments of perfection and moments and opportunities to really engage others. And I think that's the other piece is it certainly is not the opposite of it. It's that middle piece. So when you have imposter syndrome or you don't know, this is also a good way to get there. So if that's something that you're struggling with, this book will help too. That's awesome. One last question here. Because you reference a lot of leaders in the book. Was there anyone that stood out, kind of like top of the list, that really demonstrated what humility looks like? I know we talked about Steve Jobs, but was there anybody else that in your research that, yep, 
Here's a great example of the H factor. I, I found it so much easier to find people who hadn't had humility oh, than who had humility in this. And, I, and of course, there's those references, biblical references we can make, or there's sure. certainly some of the amazing kind of spiritual folks, Mother Teresa, those folks. But the one person who I really liked reading about and writing about was Benjamin Franklin. He was someone for me who I could really resonate with because he started from a place where he was a complete disaster. He was a disaster. Like he had failed businesses. People didn't want to be around him. He was so, so bright. But what he found was that he could destroy people in arguments, but it wouldn't change their mind even one minute. But if he would dial it back, if he would listen to the other person, if he would accept a little bit of what they were saying, every single time their perspective would change. So he changed the way that he argued. He stopped dominating people. He stopped using this high-level intelligence and really brought it down to a place where he listened, understood, and accepted when other people were saying. And it came from this great story where he was going to work on these 11 virtues. And he said, my life's a mess. I have failed relationships, all of these different things. What I need to do is I'm going to work on these 11 characteristics every day. And they're like ones you would imagine. He wanted to be clean and, and he wanted to not lie and have integrity. And those, like those 11 you would imagine. And he shared it with this Quaker friend of his. And the Quaker friend laughed out loud at him and said, that's never going to happen. You are not that person. He said, you know what? You might as well just add humility to the list because you're never going to be able to get that either. And he added humility. He, in fact, worked on it. All the other ones he took like bits a, a, a week at a time. He worked on humility every single day. And at the end of his life, he said, I have been able to probably master all 11 virtues, but humility I had never been able to kind of overcome. And, and there was some argument that by him suggesting that he never right. was the, the humility in that. But a lot of the U.S. Constitution goes back to Franklin making a speech at the end of it when everyone was arguing. And he said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but what yeah. he said was, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I agree with a lot of what's written in here, but I don't know that in a few years I won't. So in order to move forward and learn from this, we have to embrace each other. And it was almost saying like, I don't know what I don't know. Let's move forward together as a group and bond this so that we can at least go in it together. And they said that that speech really rallied people to sign the, the constitution and kind of move forward in that process. And, and you see this humility kind of happen over his life over and over and over again to a place where he was able to be creative and take risks and, and try new things Maybe my best example, and we'll kind of end with this, with he came out early saying um, a, a lot about race and, and how their race was right in slavery. And to the point at the end of his life, he, he admitted and said, geez, I, I was a knucklehead all the way back then. I, I did not know what I was talking about. I hadn't thought it through. I, I have understood the errors in my ways to some degree. And it was really kind of powerful reading this because you see through his humility, the change, this great, amazing, wonderful man who never had to come out at the end of his life and say he did anything wrong, could have been absolutely arrogant, wasn't. And you see that in Einstein and him and all these great leaders in that process. And I appreciate you sharing that because I don't think too many people know some of those stories or, or have the context and how powerful humility, the role it plays with exceptional leadership. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, I really, I really think that's true. Yeah. Well. I, I do want to just thank you again for, for coming on the jam session. Love 
jamming with you on this topic. Your yeah, book is too. fantastic. We will put the link in the show notes for anyone who wants to purchase the book or even reach out to Dr. Matt. We will put all his contact information within the show notes as well. Dr. Matt, I truly appreciate you coming on, sharing your book and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from it. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast. Thank you.